You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. thank you for teaching us how to pray. Father, we want to recognize you as the one true living God, and you made us for yourself. And if we're going to experience that life, then Holy Spirit, we need you. We're going to need you to help us, to guide us, to teach us. So make what is black and white or red and white on a page become alive in our hearts that it would transform us more into the image of our Savior Jesus. We pray in his powerful name, amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Well, Christian, do you realize that we, as followers of Jesus, are completely incapable of even doing the things that God commands for us to do? apart from the Spirit's power and presence in our life? Like, do you realize we don't even have the ability to carry out the most basic of God's commands? For example, what is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God, how? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. I don't know about you, I can't do that. I do know about you, actually. You can't do that either. Okay, you need God to do what he's commanded you to do. What about the second one? Jesus says this command is just like it. Love your neighbor, how? As yourself? I maybe sometimes love my neighbor, but like as myself, God, I need you if that's gonna be a reality in my life. So without the Spirit's power, without the Spirit's presence in me, I cannot do the most basic of things God has commanded me to do, which is why Augustine, St. Augustine famously prayed, command what you will. Pray to God. God, command what you will and give what you command. In other words, God, it is your prerogative. It's your right to command or demand of me whatever you want. I mean, you're God. I'm not. So command whatever you want of me. And then please give me the power to do what you command me to do. This, by the way, is why prayer is essential. It is necessary in the life of a disciple of Jesus because only God can do what must be done. And not only are we weak and incapable of doing the most basic things God's command is to do, but we're also thrust as followers of Jesus into this invisible conflict, an invisible war. And Paul talks in, or writes, in this letter to the Ephesian church, the book of Ephesians, as he's finishing out that letter, he warns them about this invisible war. And he tells them that they need to put on the full armor of God. You remember, you maybe have heard about this. You put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. But before he gets into all that, I want us to look briefly at what he says, before he says to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes, he says in verse 10, be strong, how? In the Lord 
and in his mighty power. Now, not be strong in yourself or go get them. No, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power because the devil is scheming against you, brother. He seeks to destroy you, sister. And that is why we must put on the full armor of God and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Otherwise, we are guaranteed casualties in this invisible war. And just as he finishes describing this armor of God that we're to put on, he says to do this. He says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with what kind of prayers? All kinds of prayers and requests. And then he says, with this in mind, be alert. Brother, sister, be alert. And always what? Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So prayer, it's not just a good idea, like when we think about it or when we have time. Prayer is not just an important practice for the super spiritual among us. It is essential for every single disciple of Jesus. Prayer, look, we so need God that we must be, we must be a people of prayer. It's how we ransack the storeroom of God's power. It's how we have access to all of God's resources. Last night, my wife and I and Ace and Aiden and Serenity, we got to uh, oh, and Jody and Karen also, yes, I leave you out there. We were, we were privileged to be a part of this banquet last night for Together We Foster, which is the association that supports foster families here in Paragould and Northeast Arkansas. So they had a banquet here in our facility. Thank you, by the way, for your faithful giving. That helps support that kind of thing. And uh, during that, there was a silent auction going on. There was a live auction that they had. This was all to raise money uh, and support for the efforts that they do. They do an incredible work. Uh, our family as well has benefited from the work that they do uh, for foster families. Now, uh, during that live auction, there was lots of really legit stuff that was being auctioned off. And some of it caught my eye. Okay, there was this big old, uh, I already have a pellet grill, but there was a oh, sweet one. Uh, the Pit Boss, it was like an $800, $900 pellet grill sold for like, what was it? Eight, $900, something like that. It was crazy. You know, people were, it was awesome. And then after that, there was like this one week long rental of an excavator that people bid on, went for $1,200. I was like, woo, you know, like, man, they're getting all kinds of cool stuff. This big stuff. There was another couple grills. I can't remember what else. I mean, just cool stuff. But then there was this platter that was brought up, and it was from a little girl who's 10 years old, okay? Her name is Ella Roberts, okay? And Ella is the daughter of, of um, um, oh, Roberts, um, Lindsay. Oh, my, Lindsay, I'm so sorry if you're watching this. All right, Lindsay Roberts, uh, it's her daughter. Lindsay is uh, like the head of the spear in Paragold, Green County, uh, on fostering and adoption. Anyway, so this is her daughter who's 10 years old, and she every month is baking something or making something and selling it, and then she takes the proceeds and gives it to the Foster Family Association uh, Together We Foster. Sweet, awesome, praise God, okay? And I'm thinking like, oh, that's, that's so sweet. This is great, 20 bucks, let's go. Well, anyway, so they bring this, uh, this platter of uh, Oreo balls. Now, hey, not knocking Oreo balls, I could kill them all day long. I love Oreo balls, okay, I get it. There's probably 30 Oreo balls on this little platter, okay? So you got this little black and white, yeah, whatever. And so uh, he starts the bidding, okay? 
He says, I'll start the bidding at $100. And I'm like, what? Okay, whatever. Anyway, the bidding starts at $100. Listen to this, okay? This little girl, what can, what can she do? She's 10, okay? What can she do to make a difference? To, to, she, she doesn't have a job, whatever, you know? You know but she, this thing goes, he's standing right here holding a platter, literally standing right here, holding the platter. And people just, well, here they go. They just start bidding. That platter of Oreo balls sold for $600. $600. And all I can think, I know, praise God. All I can think is like every Oreo ball. Well, that's 20 bucks. Well, that's 20 bucks. I was like, wow, you know, this is crazy. And I could, I was so moved by what was happening because I was thinking, you know what? That's exactly what prayer is like. We take this me, you know, we got, what do we got? Nothing. And we take it before God and say, God, this is what I have. What can you do? And God says, let me show you. That's what he does. And this is why Charles Spurgeon said to pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to gather up the riches out of an inexhaustible storehouse. Oh, I'm going to tell you something. We, what do you got to win this war? Nothing. I'm going to tell you something. Greater is the one who's in you than he who's in the world. And you have full access to his resources through prayer. And here's the cool news. Check this out. Prayer, according to Jesus, is for the everyday disciple. Okay? It's for the blue-collar Christian. Praise God. In fact, Jesus explodes some of the stereotypes about prayer, some of the lies that we tend to believe about prayer. One of the ones, this is right before he launches into the model prayer. Okay, so in Matthew 6, he's, he's preaching this Sermon on the Mount. And right before he launches into the prayer, the actual model prayer, he says this. First of all, you don't have to impress anybody. Did you know that? Do you ever feel that way? Like you're praying, especially praying with a group of people like, oh, I'm so afraid with what I'm going to say, what they're going to think about me. I don't want to like uh, mess this up or something. You ever felt that way? Jesus says you don't have to impress anybody. Verse five, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Well, I don't want to be like that, right? Well, what do they do? They love to pray standing in front of everybody in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. He says, don't be like that. Well, that's great because... It's, that's hard, right? To like to pray and to impress people. Don't do that. The second thing he says though, is that you don't have to pray like a long time and you don't have to use certain spiritual words for God to hear you. That's encouraging to anybody. Maybe it's encouraging to me. He says in verse seven, don't keep on babbling, you know, on and on and on with these big words, because guess who does that? Pagans do that. He says, well, I don't want to be like that. He says, they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Have you ever heard, maybe you've been guilty of this because I've been guilty of this, of like using a prayer language? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm going to quit talking in my normal way of talking, and I'm going to start using words like beseech and like uh, giveth, you know, and things like that. You ever done that? Have you ever seen that? Oh, Lord, you know, giveth this day, we beseech you today. You know, you ever heard that? Okay. Jesus says, look, hey, if, you get, if that's your language, praise God. I promise you God can decipher it and hear it, even if I can't. But listen to this. You don't have to use those words. Okay, you can use your words, okay, and express your need to God. And then thirdly, he says, you don't even have to worry about asking for wrong things. This is good because I ask for wrong things all the time. And you do too, if you pray, you don't have to worry about asking for wrong things because in verse uh, eight, he says, the father knows what you need before you even ask. That's pretty reassuring. So then Jesus launches in to this model prayer. He says, so this is how you should pray. Let's look at it. He says, our father in heaven hallowed be your name. Jesus says that we need to start by anchoring ourselves in the reality of who God is 
and who we are in him. Which, by the way, is why we order our service the way we do. And we were singing, brother, so good, singing these truths about God and about who we are in him. Because what does that do? It anchors us in this firm reality that like God is God. He is, he's God, but he's also our father. He's not just some like cosmic faraway force. He is a personal God who bends his ear to you. He is attentive to you. He cares about you. He's listening to you. And not only that, but if he's our father, then guess what we are? We're his children. That's, that's your identity. Okay? Now, you may sin. You may fail. Other people in the world may think you're a screw-up. But listen to this. You've got the Holy Spirit of God in you. You're a son. You're a daughter. And that's who you are. Okay? And so, yes, we, he says, remember who you are. But not only that, but God's not like any earthly father that you may know or even your own personal father. He is a good, good father. He never does anything wrong. He's, he's only always ever good. He's kind. He's, he's creative. He's powerful. He's all these things. But then Jesus says, not only that, but we want you to pray. Jesus says, you need to pray for big stuff. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I want you to know those are big prayers. God wants you to pray these big, bold, global prayers. God put an end to this war in Ukraine. God, please bring about an end to cancer or ALS. Or maybe areas in our city or in the area where you live that don't look the way they should. Okay, He says pray about that stuff. Uh, maybe an end to drug addiction here in Greene County. God, would there be a revival among our schools? And big, bold kingdom come prayers in your own personal life. The salvation of a loved one. The healing of a friend. Your marriage that's on the rocks. God, restore my marriage. Just this morning, I was getting my worship on, you know, and I, my, my phone vibrated because I had it silenced. Please silence your phones. Uh, my phone silenced, it vibrated, and it was, uh, I picked it up, and it was a group text, and it was from my mom. And it simply said, uh, well, my hair has started falling out. And she's referencing the fact that my mom, who's not uh, following Jesus, has uh, been diagnosed with liver cancer. And... And like, like it's grim. It's really bad. And I just like, God save my mother. And, and heal my mother. Heal my mom. Like God says, like pray kingdom come prayers. Cause this is not how creation was intended to be. Pray those things. And, but listen to this. Jesus says God doesn't just care about those big prayers. He cares about the little things too. He says, Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, God, thank you for the food on my table. God, help me to be faithful in my job. Uh, I, give me patience like while I'm raising these kids. I mean, this is, you know what I mean? Practical, daily, regular stuff. God, I want this promotion that's available or I would really could use this raise or we're struggling in our bills or, I mean, pray those things to God. And then Jesus teaches us not only that, but to step into the light by confessing our sins. He says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
You know what this great promise is that, that uh, John gives us in 1 John chapter 1? He says that if we will confess our sins, he, God, is faithful. He's just, and he'll forgive us our sins, and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ah, so he says just step into the light, confess your sins, and not only that, but forgive others, and ask for God's help in doing that, because you're never going to look more like God than when you forgive others. And then he gets to this part of the prayer. He ends it with this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that's where we are today. We're going to camp on it for just a few minutes. Let's look at that first phrase, lead us not into temptation. Well, temptation, what? I want to say a word or two about that. Okay, first of all, temptation, God, we need to know this, God never tempts us to sin. God never tempts us to sin. James is really clear about this. James is the half-brother of Jesus. They have the same mom, different dad. Um, And he says, yeah, amen. Uh, (laughs) Pastor joke, okay. But it's true. Anyway, James says in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, when we're tempted, and you will be tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, okay? So you can never say like, oh, I couldn't help it. God made me do it or, or God tempted me and, and I just can't overcome God's power. You know, whatever. God never tempts you to sin. But secondly, we need to see that the evil one does tempt you to sin. In fact, he's constantly tempting you to sin. He is literally called the tempter by Paul. And according to Peter, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, that's not an encounter I want to have with Satan, one where he devours me. Satan literally seeks to destroy your faith through sin. And this is why we must pray. John Bunyan said that prayer will make a man or woman cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Here's the beautiful thing. We will all be tempted. Yes, this is true. But in temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we hear that God is faithful in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptation. It says that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, sometimes it gets misconstrued that God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not in the scriptures, but he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Instead, he's always going to provide a way of escape so that you can bear it. That's good news. Good news. So, if God can't be tempted and he will not tempt me to sin, then do I need to be asking him not to tempt me? Well, we're not actually asking God, Jesus is not teaching us here to ask the Father not to tempt us, but we're asking God to guide us, okay? Uh, there's a, a movie, the classic, so good, I'm sure you've all seen it, The Princess Bride. Everybody seen that? Amen. Okay, good. All right. Thank you, Chris. Uh, so the Princess Bride, I don't want to give you the whole story or whatever, but uh, there's, a, there's a character in there, Inigo Montoya, okay? And Inigo Montoya, that's him right there. He, uh, he is trying to avenge his father's death because his, his father, 20 years prior, was killed by the six-fingered man. There's a man with six fingers on his right hand. He was mercilessly killed by, killed his father. Okay, well, he's looking for the help of the man in black, I must find the man in black. And he has been looking for the man in black who can help him find the six-fingered man so he can avenge his father's death and kill him. Praise God. All right, so, 
uh, he gets to this one part in the movie where he is so close to finding the man in black, but he can't find him because the man in black is in the pit of despair, okay? And he can't find the pit of despair. He doesn't know where he is. So he gets to this place. He's in the woods and he gets his sword out and he gets down on his knees. The sun rises, as you can see in the picture behind his head, and he begins to pray to his dead father. And he says something like this, Father, I have failed you for 20 years. He uses a... (laughs) Now, he says, our misery finally can end. There is a man nearby who can help us, but I need your help to find him. Father, he says, guide my sword. (laughs) Then he's like, please, Guide my sword. And then he, he, he gets up, and you're like, wow, it's, it's going to happen. And he starts wandering around with the sword. You know, he's doing this right here, and then over this way. And eventually he runs into a tree. And he's so, he opens his eyes, and it's a tree. He's so disappointed. He puts his arm up on the tree, rests his head there, and a door opens in the trunk of the tree that leads down to the pit of despair. His, I guess his father or his sword, I don't know, somehow God, maybe it was. I don't know, it's a movie, all right? Anyway, it leads him to this place. Do you ever wish, I wish there was a way that, that I could be guided like that to stay out of misery, you know, to end the misery in my life. Well, listen, Jesus is saying, do that. Ask God to do that in your life because Satan knows where you are most vulnerable. He knows the areas of your life to attack. He knows just how to feed you lies that you're most apt to believe. Okay? And that's why we ask God, God, lead me in ways that are going to keep me off of these landmines. Okay? It's literally like we're walking in this war on the fields of landmines. We're saying, God, lead me away from these places, from these trials, and from these things that are going to tempt me to sin. Did you know... Uh, it seems that, uh, oh, Frozen, this is a good way of explaining that, okay? Frozen, uh, in the movie Frozen, there's a guy, Kristoff, okay, who's raised by trolls. <laughs> God, so still, so dumb. All right, but there's this guy, Kristoff, he's raised by trolls, and they're, they're, the trolls are singing a song, okay, about how Kristoff is really a fixer-upper, okay? He needs a little help, okay? And yeah, he makes some mistakes. They say, People make bad choices if they're mad or scared or stressed, right? Remember that line? Did you know why that resonates with us? Because it's true. People make bad choices when? When they're mad, when they're scared, when they're stressed. Did you know this? You're most apt to sin when you're tired, when you're angry, when you're disappointed, when you're stressed out, when your calendar's full. You're more apt to sin in moments like that. And listen to this. I found this out this week. Not like I'm some scientist or I knew this stuff, okay? You know, I'm trying to study and find something that would be helpful for us to learn. But mountain lions will act, it's been scientifically proven that mountain lions will prey upon deer that have a disease, okay? They, they are literally drawn to deer that are diseased. And uh, Satan seems to hunt in a lot the same way. Satan has a ruthless hunger for the weak and for the hurting. He's, he's so cunning, so smart, and he spends a great deal of time among the fragile and the vulnerable. And so we pray, God, keep me away from these trials where I'm so prone to wonder, prone to sin. But we also know this, 
that somehow in the midst of those trials, which do come, in the midst of those, it seems that this is the time that we grow the most, that our roots go deepest. In fact, you know, you've heard us talk about the intentional spiritual formation paradigm. Like this is how we become more like Jesus. The only fast track to becoming like Jesus is suffering. It's trials, it's temptation. And this is why James, that half-brother of Jesus, he tells us this in chapter one of his letter. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then in verse 12, he says, blessed is the one who, happy, happy is the one who perseveres under trial because... Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, which is it? Like, if I should rejoice when I face trials of many kinds, should I pray not to face them? So, what's going on here? Well, we need to know this. One, in this life, you will face trials. There will be suffering, disappointment discouragement. And there are two forces who are intending two very different things for you in the middle of your trials. First of all, you have an enemy who is trying to tempt you in the middle of your trials. And remember that God does never, never tempts you, but there is an enemy who is seeking to entice you away from God. He is enticing you to sin and he wants us to believe his lies. It's like in the book of Job, dead center in your Bible. Uh, in Job chapter one, Satan, it says, goes up and like speaks, goes to the throne of God and speaks to God. Kind of weird, uh, but like that's what happens. And he, uh, he says to God, like, hey, I've been looking around to and fro throughout the earth. And God then, why God does this? God brings up Job's name. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like, God, leave my name out of your conversations with Satan. You know what I'm saying? But God brings Job up. He's like, hey, Satan, have you ever considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man. And Satan's like, he only serves you. I'm sure he did it just like this. He only serves you because you're so good to him. If you, if you allowed me to give him a trial and take away all this good stuff that you've given him, I guarantee you he'll curse you to your face. And did you know Satan works that way in your life? He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this person uh, all kinds of heck here so that they will sin. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take God's uh, precious little child and I'm going to dangle them in front of the face of God and said, see what your kids did. That's how he works. That's what he's going to do. And God's like, here's God's answer. He's not like, oh, no, 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 don't touch my children. He's like, go for it. That's what God says. And so why? Well, God is doing something as well. So when we go through trials, listen to this. It's not just Satan that, that's like at work here. God's at work here. And he's intending something too. Like God is seeking to prove that your faith is genuine. And not only that, but he is looking to purge the sin from your life. Because the sin is strangling you and keeping you from experiencing the full life that you're longing for. And one of the ways that we notice sin in our life is when we go through suffering. Because that's when stuff that we didn't know was down in the well starts coming up. It's kind of like with uh, Joseph. In the story of Joseph, it takes, up, it takes up like half of the book of Genesis, maybe more than half. Uh, 
he's the longest narrative in all the Old Testament. But uh, you can read the second half of Genesis. And Joseph, what's happened is, long story short, his, his brothers have been, uh, are jealous of him. They sold him as a slave. They were going to kill him, but they didn't. They sold him as a slave. He goes down to Egypt as a slave. And like, because God is with him in the midst of all this like, Crazy stuff that's happening to him. So unfair. Yet God's with him through it all. And God, he's promoted to like the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. There's this huge famine that comes. And Joseph's brothers, who think he's long gone and dead, uh, they are in search of food because there's a famine. Well, guess what? There's food down in Egypt where Joseph is in charge. Okay. They go down to Egypt to get some food. And what, in, uh, in the end, what happens is like their dad has died and they find out that, oh, this is Joseph that we're like begging for food from. Joseph's going to hurt us. He's going to enact revenge, you know, because if I were Joseph, that's what I would do. Okay. So they're scared that Joseph is going to seek revenge on his brothers. And here's what Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph says, you, talking to his brothers, you intended, like you purposed, it was your intention to harm me. But God intended, God purposed it, what you did, for good to accomplish what's now being done, which is the saving of many lives. So check this out. While Satan in your life or while the world in your life is seeking to destroy you, know this, that God in the midst of those trials and, and that suffering is seeking to form you, preserve you, to build you. Like, that's what he's doing. He's doing a great work in your life. And so therefore we pray. Father, don't allow my trials to turn into a temptation that lures me away from you. You got to remember that prayer is our primary defense against temptation. So lead us not into temptation, but he says, deliver us from the evil one. Now, there is some debate on how this word is best translated. Uh, Some translations like the ESV would say uh, evil, just deliver us from evil. The NIV and others will say the evil one, which is it? I don't know. I'm not here to settle that debate. There's people who are way smarter than me uh, that, you know, land on both sides, but let's talk about both. Okay. What about the evil one? We've already seen that Satan is crafty. We've already seen that he is ruthless, that he is a liar, that he is the tempter. So should we pray to the father that he would deliver us or rescue us from the devil? Absolutely. Yes, because we don't stand a chance against the devil alone. That is a fool's errand. There was a Methodist preacher some hundred years ago who we've used this quote before, but it is so worth repeating. His name's Samuel Chadwick. He says, the concern, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. Now, keep them from praying, not keep them from witnessing, not keep them from feeding the poor. Not feeding, not, not keep them from uh, having banquets and raising money for foster families. No, he says the, the one concern is to keep them from praying. Why? Because he fears nothing from prayerless studies or from prayerless work and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but Satan trembles when we pray. Why? Well, because the one, we don't have any power against him, but the one who's in us is greater than he who is in the world. And Satan knows this, but here's the trick. Satan has an accomplice. This is his secret weapon. Satan has a mole on the inside and that mole is your flesh. 
Okay, so he he seems to know how to speak to that part of you that's still lingering around. Okay, that hadn't quite been put to death. And did you know, Christian, that there is still wickedness lurking in you? This is why Romans uh, eight thirteen Paul says that if you live this way, if you live according to the flesh, he's talking to Christians here. Okay, these are people who have the Spirit of God. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, oh, if by the Spirit, excuse me, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. He says something similar in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 1. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, the tricky part of doing this is that we're often not even aware of the evil in us. Our heart, the psalmist says, is deceitfully wicked. Okay, like we, it's, it's, it's so hard for us sometimes to see, which is why the psalmist David in Psalm 139, he writes a song, which is also a prayer. And this song starts with this line. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And then he ends the, the song with these two verses. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and then lead me in the, le- in the way everlasting. So I am asking God to search my heart and see things and expose things that I cannot see. So to pray, deliver me from evil, is to ask God to shine a light in the dark places of your heart. And it is scary. You know this. I know this. Bless you. Uh, it's, a, it's scary because there's things, there's some things that I know are in there and I just don't want them exposed. And there's things that I don't know that are in there and I know I don't know it. And it's a scary proposition to think that God can probe around in some of these dark places. And it can also be really frustrating because if you're like me, and I would assume you are, because I don't think I'm, I'm weird, but not that weird, but I would assume that in your life you've noticed some sin that you thought you had it lit, you know, and it just crops back up one day. You're like, what is, what's going on with me? Like, what is the deal? Like, I thought I had this licked when I was 20 years old, and here I am, I'm 41, and like, I haven't struggled with this in a long time, or I haven't, you know, felt this way, thought this way, or, or sinned in this way in so long. And like, what's wrong with me? Maybe you feel like Mr. Incredible. I often do, who, uh, not in that way. I feel like him at the beginning of the movie of The Incredibles when he's being interviewed and he's uh, talking about being a superhero and all that. And he says, no matter how many times you save the world, it always manages to get back in jeopardy again. Sometimes I just want the world to stay saved. You know what I'm saying? He says, I feel like the maid. I just cleaned up this mess. Can we, can we keep it clean for, for 10 minutes? Anybody ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like that in your own life? Okay, I'm not talking about the tidiness of your house. I'm talking about the tidiness of your heart. Like, I feel that way. Like, I feel like I just had this licked. And like, why is this keep coming back? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm oftentimes, I'll, I'll think, and especially early on, I'll think this way a lot. Like, I thought I've been saved. I thought I'm a new person. Like, the old heart of stone has been taken out, and God's given me a new heart of flesh. And like, I, this isn't matching up with my like theology up here. 
So it is true, you may have heard this before, this isn't new here, but it's true that you have been saved. If you're following Jesus and you've surrendered to his lordship, you are trusting in his work on the cross and you've repented of your sins, know this, you have been saved. That's true. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. The, the penalty of sin is not going to befall you because it's already been placed on Jesus on the cross. And so you're not going to have to pay for that in eternity. But it's also true that one day we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. That's true. Okay, there's coming a day when you no longer have to worry about sin. Okay, because the old order of things are going to be passed away. I mean, like Satan, oh, this is cool news. Revelation says Satan's going to be cast into the lake of fire. That's pretty cool. You know why? Because he won't be able to tempt you from there. Okay, and not only that, but you're going to be in a resurrected body that has no desire to sin. There's no flesh left in it. I mean, like, the, the old man, the old woman, okay, it's not there anymore. So that's going to happen. One day you will be saved, but know that this is true as well. The scriptures are clear on this. We are now, as followers of Jesus, we are being saved from the power of sin. And this, by the way, it's called sanctification or spiritual formation, but this is a slow and oftentimes frustrating process. And I, uh, Jared had pointed out a, a quote from John Piper on, on this very thing. He said, I think, I'm going to butcher it again. I did in the first service too. But basically, no, um, oh, no, no, not that one. Uh, John Piper says something like, I won't butcher it if I'm reading it. But anyway, but John Piper said something like, nothing uh, makes him doubt more um, uh, like his own salvation, I guess, or just like his own whatever. Uh, like suffering, no, uh, suffering. It, thanks a lot. Suffering is not what makes me doubt. It's my own sanctification. It's the slowness of my growth. That makes me think like, what in the world? You know, am I really saved? You know, I think, yeah, that's what he's getting at. And I feel that. I feel that way too. Maybe you do too. But know that it is slow. Okay. But know that it also is a work of God. Okay. And it is sure to happen. Your own formation into the person of Jesus is guaranteed to happen because it's a work of God. Now, we sang a song just a little bit ago as we were getting ready uh, here uh, where we sang that refrain over and over. You're never going to let, never going to let me down. And I want to say just one quick word on that. Uh, is that true? Absolutely. If, if, if like, okay. If you uh, are desiring the things of the world or like you're praying in accordance with your flesh and like, you know, I, I want this or that. And I just want you to know that God's not always going to answer your prayers. Okay. And if that's you, like, hey, that's cool. But know that you're going to be disappointed. Okay. You are going to be disappointed. God is going to disappoint you. He's not always going to do what you want him to do. Okay. God's not your genie in a bottle and is like here to do whatever you ask. Praise God. He doesn't do that. You know why he doesn't do that? Because he loves you. You know, he knows what you need before you even ask. And all the time we ask amiss, you know, we ask, you know, with wrong motives and things like that. And God's so good, just like a good dad, even though my kid would say like, uh, dad, I want uh, 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 cupcakes for supper. You know, I'm going to say no. Okay. Even though that sounds so good or whatever. Sometimes I actually would say yes. But anyway, like no, most of the time. <clears throat> and God, God is going to disappoint you, but know this. He is never going to let you fall or fail. Like he, he's, he's never going to allow you to, to be tempted beyond what you can bear. He's always going to be faithful. He's going to provide a way of escape. When you do sin, he is always going to be there ready and willing and eager to forgive you of your sins when you come to him uh, in confession and forgiveness, uh, asking for his forgiveness. Just know that he is never, never, never going to fail you. It's why uh, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians that 
he, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Like it's going to happen. John Owen, we'll, we'll close with this quote. John Owen wrote this about this whole process. He says, the growth of trees, the growth of plants, it takes place so slowly that it is not easily seen. Daily, we notice little change. But in the course of time, we see that a great change has taken place. And so it is with grace. Sanctification is a progressive, lifelong work. It's an amazing work of God's grace. And it is a work to be prayed for. Brothers, sisters, God's treasure chest is open to you. It's accessible to you. And you can, you can have it through prayer. Just know that it doesn't take like a, a spiritual giant to do this stuff. God wants to hear from the novice Christian, okay? So take advantage of the tools he's given you, of this access that he's given you. Here's what we're about to do. We're about to, well, we can go ahead and stand. We're about to take communion together. And every week we do this as a way of reminding ourselves that just like a cup that leaks all the time, we're like leaky vessels. And so God fills us up with his spirit, but guess what happens? We just keep leaking, okay? And so we're constantly going back to God and saying, God, I need a fresh filling of your spirit. And so when we take communion, we take a piece of bread, which represents the broken body of Jesus. And we dip it in the juice, which represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And then we take that and we ingest it to remind ourselves that that we can only do, live, experience this life that he's given us to experience and live through his power. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, just know that like we love you, we're stoked that you're here, but just know this is one of the few doors that's closed to you. And, and because it's not gonna like, it's not gonna save you, it's not gonna make God like you, but know this, that there is an offer extended to you, okay? If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you're still like, just living like the world and, and you've not been forgiven of your sins by placing your faith in the work of Jesus, that offer is on the table for you. It's a real offer. And God is here today. It may be right now you're hearing him call your name to himself. And the offer to you is instead of like coming and, and taking communion, receive Jesus. Take Jesus and watch how he transforms you from the inside out. Okay, let's pray together and then we'll do this meal together. Father, you're present here with us this morning. You've put your Holy Spirit in all of us who are uh, following in faith your son, Jesus. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for your word that enlightens us on who you are, who we are in you, and the access that we have to these abundant resources and these weapons of war that you, I mean, it's like a never-ending treasure trove. God, you've given us this gift of prayer. Thank you so much for that. Help, forgive us for neglecting it and, and, and bring us, like draw us to yourself in prayer. And as we take this communion, God, thank you for the, the gift of your son, Jesus, who washes away our sins through his death on the cross. We pray in his name, amen.